The Holocaust isn't about race. It's about man's inhumanity to man. These are two white groups of people. The minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. Welcome to episode 12 of the Genius of Thomas Sowell podcast. I'm your host, Alan Woolen. The day after we released episode 11 about Sowell's ideas on the sorting and unsorting of people, Whoopi Goldberg made some remarks on her TV show, The View, about Jews and the Holocaust, which got her into hot water. Today, I'd like to explore this controversy through the lens of Sowell's concept of the sorting and unsorting of people, which we discussed in detail in episode 11. If you haven't already listened to that episode, it would be helpful to listen to it before you listen to this one. Interestingly, in our original conversation about Sowell's ideas about sorting people, Charles Love and I talked quite a bit about the relationship between blacks and Jews, the Holocaust, and other related topics. I decided not to include that portion of our discussion in episode 11, because I felt it was drifting too far away from Sowell's chapter. But now that the Whoopi Goldberg controversy is sparking a conversation about the Holocaust, I feel that it would make sense to revisit the conversation with Charles. To refresh your memory, the basic idea of Chapter 3 of Sowell's 2018 book, Discrimination and Disparities, is that human beings have always sorted themselves out from other human beings along various criteria. This sorting was sometimes self-imposed and voluntary, and other times was forced upon them by third parties. What's interesting about the Whoopi Goldberg controversy is that one can think of no more potent example of this third-party sorting being imposed on a people than the Holocaust. The German people, under the leadership of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party, decided to sort out from society and the world the Jewish people. At first, they passed laws saying that Germans could not marry Jews. Then they fired Jewish professors, judges, and other high-ranking Jewish officials. They encouraged Germans not to shop at Jewish-owned stores, nor to visit Jewish doctors. They passed laws which required Jews to wear large yellow stars on their outer clothing when out in public. The slippery slope being what it is, they then physically separated Jews from their neighborhoods, confiscated Jewish property, and forced Jews to live in walled-off ghettos within the cities. This sorting out culminated with the mass deportation of Jews to concentration camps throughout Europe. But the sorting out process didn't end there. Upon arrival at concentration camps like Auschwitz in Poland, the first thing that greeted arriving prisoners was yet another, more final sorting ritual. Directly at the unloading ramps of the trains which transported the Jews to the camp, SS doctors would sort the arrivals into two groups, those who were strong enough to work as slaves for the Nazis 
and those who weren't, with the latter group being sent directly to extermination in the gas chambers and crematoria. One can think of no better example of the extreme sorting and unsorting of human beings than the Nazi Holocaust. As a valuable aside, it is worth noting that two professions, which were very prominent in the sorting out of quote-unquote undesirables from German society, were judges and doctors. There's a lesson in there for us today in 2022, and I'll leave that lesson to your imagination. With this brief history of the Holocaust in mind, let's hear what Whoopi Goldberg said on The View, which got her into so much trouble. Well, also, if you're going to do this, then let's be truthful about it, because the Holocaust isn't about race. No. No, it's well, not about maybe race. Maybe ethnicity. Yeah, no, it's Jews about a different it, race. But it's it's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. But it's about white supremacy. It's well, about but going it's not, after it's Jews not about and, ideal and race. It's it's but these are two Roma. white groups of people. Well, they How do we have to black people see them as white? And they but you're missing the point. You're yeah. missing the point. Yeah. The minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. It's a problem. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, because black, white, Jews, uh, Italian, everybody eats each other. So is it, if you're uncomfortable, if you hear about mouse, should you be worried? Should, should your child say, oh my God, I, I, I wonder if that's me? No, that's not what they're going to say. They're going to say, I don't want to be like that. Well, hopefully. I well, want to be cruel. Yeah. And well, yeah. Most kids, and, and, most oh. kids, they, they don't want to be cruel. No, they don't. And, and we're living in a, you know, we're living in an era where people are, are comparing vaccine cards to the yellow stars, where people are comparing mm-hmm. vaccinations to what Anne Frank yeah. went through. Yeah. So it is necessary for kids to learn about they the Holocaust. To, about, to learn way, about man's what? inhumanity to man, however it exposes itself. So Whoopi's main intellectual transgression here was that she maintained that the Holocaust was not about race, but was instead about man's inhumanity to man. Now, I don't really want to get into a post-mortem about Whoopi's remarks and judge whether what she said was true or not, whether she should have said that, whether she should have apologized for it, or whether getting suspended from the view was appropriate. Of course, I have opinions on these topics, like everyone else. But there will be enough commentary on that from others, and you can make up your own mind. What I'd like to focus on instead is how this topic fits into the framework of Sowell's views on the sorting and unsorting of people from Chapter 3 of Discrimination and Disparities. To help us better understand what's going on intellectually in Whoopi's mind, let's listen to the exchange she had about this controversy the next day with Stephen Colbert. As a humorous aside, let me remind you that Whoopi Goldberg's original name was Karen Elaine Johnson, and that she took on the Jewish stage name Goldberg in the early 80s. In fact, I was one of the thousands of people who paid Broadway ticket prices to see Whoopi in her one-woman comedy show back in 1984, which made her not only a household name, but also a millionaire. I just want to point out the extreme irony of a black woman who took on a Jewish name to launch her career, 
getting into hot water 38 years later over her views on the Holocaust. You can't make this stuff up. Here's what she said on The Stephen Colbert Show. Now, you made some news this morning. Yes. On The yes, View. I did. When y'all were talking about the Holocaust. Yeah. And what, what, would you care to uh, follow up? Clarify what you said this morning? I don't know. Because it confused some people. It it upset a lot of people, which was never, ever, ever, ever my intention. I thought we were having a discussion uh, because I feel being black, when we talk about race, it's a very different thing to me. Mm -hmm. So I said that I, I felt that the Holocaust wasn't about race. And people got very, very, very angry and still are angry. I mean, I'm getting, you know, all of the, the mail from folks and mm-hmm. the very real anger because people feel very differently. But I thought it was a, a salient discussion because as a black person, I think of race as being something that I can see. So I see you and I know what race you are. And the discussion was about how I felt about that. I felt that, that it was really more about man's inhumanity to man and how horrible people can be to people. And we're seeing it manifest itself these days. But people were very angry and they said, no, no, we are a race. And I, I, I understand. I understand. I, I felt differently. I respect everything everyone is saying to me and I, I, you know, I don't want to fake apologize. You know, I, I was I very upset about, that people are misunderstood what I was saying. And so because of it, uh, they're saying that I'm anti-Semitic and that uh, I'm denying the Holocaust and all these other things, which, you know, would never occur to me to do. I thought we were having a discussion about race, which everyone I think is having. As the white guy in the conversation uh-huh. here, I am, I am neither uh, Jewish nor am I black, and mm-hmm. so I have a different perspective all of this. Yes. It seems to me that whiteness is a construct created by colonial powers um, during the beginning of colonial imperi- imperialist mm-hmm. era in order to exploit other people, and that they could apply it to all different kinds of people, that idea of race. And the American experience tends to be based on skin. Yes. And so that is what race means to me. Mm-hmm. When you talk about uh, being a racist, I was saying you can't call this racism. This was evil. Mm-hmm. This, wasn't, this wasn't based on the skin. You couldn't tell who was Jewish. Mm-hmm. They had to delve deeply to figure it out. Well, I think one of the reasons why the people might say, and again, I, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I am... I'm not Jewish and I'm black, right. but as someone who understands, uh, you know, what I've read of how the op- Nazis operated, when they found out that you were of the Jewish race, right. that's, that's why they'd make you wear a star yes. so they could see you. So and they could identify you. you. But yes. my point is they had to do the work. If you see, if the Klan is coming down the street mm-hmm. and I'm standing with a Jewish friend and neither one, well, I'm going to run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But if my friend decides not to run, they'll get passed by most times because you can't tell who's Jewish. You don't know. It's not something that people say, oh, that person is Jewish or this person is Jewish. And so that's what I was trying to explain. And I understand that not everybody sees it that way and that 
uh, I did a lot of uh, harm, I guess, to myself. And people, you know, decided I was all these other things. I'm, I'm actually not. And I'm incredibly uh, torn up by being told these things about myself. And, you know, I get it. Folks are angry. I accept that. And I did it to myself. This was my, uh, my thought process. And I will work hard not to think that way again. Have you have you come to understand that the Nazis saw it as race? Well, because they might like well, asking the Nazis, they would say, yes, it's a racial issue. Well, see, this is what's interesting to me, because the Nazis lied. It wasn't. They they had issues with ethnicity, not with race, because most of the Nazis were white people and most of the people they were attacking were white people. So to me, I'm thinking, how can you how can you say it's about race if you are fighting each other? So it all really began because I said, how will children, how will we explain to children what happened in Nazi Germany? This wasn't, I said, this wasn't racial. This was about white on white. And everybody said, no, 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 it was racial. And so that's what this all came from. So once again, don't write me anymore. I know how you feel. Okay, I already know. I get it. And uh, I'm going to take your word for it and never bring it up again. In episode 11, I talked about the concept of BIPOC and how that concept separates people into only two groups, white people and non-white people. I talked about why I found that concept dangerous because it takes one out of a multipolar world and places one in a bipolar world, with only two groups vying for power over one another. It's literally a black and white way of looking at the world. Well, it seems to me that Whoopi Goldberg is a great example of this type of bipolar thinking. In her view, there are only two types of people, white people and non-white people. It's something attendees of a KKK rally can see with the naked eye, she says, so they know who to chase. So for Whoopi, race means black and white. That's it. She says it directly. That's the framework through which she sees the world. In her eyes, Germans sorting out Jews for extermination is not racism. It's just, quote, white people fighting with other white people. It's just people being really mean to each other. Whoopi's lesson for us all? Don't be mean. The lesson I take away from Sowell's book is this. There have always been ways human beings sort themselves out from other human beings and separate others out. There are an infinite number of ways this sorting can occur. We can sort people by race, by sex, by intelligence, by language, by culture, class, political party. We can even sort people by hair color, height, or right- or left-handedness if we really wanted to. Some of these sorting mechanisms are productive adaptations, like the sorting of men and women into separate sports leagues. That makes solid sense, and this form of sorting has lasted peacefully and harmoniously for thousands of years. There is sorting people by academic ability, which was practiced for decades at exam schools like Stuyvesant High School. There was the sorting of people by motivation levels, which had been going on for 85 years at the all-black Dunbar High School 
and was working exceptionally well, according to Sowell. Some sorting behavior is adaptive and positive. There are other sorting mechanisms, however, which can have very dangerous implications for social harmony. Sowell feared that a lot of the racial rhetoric of our time could ultimately lead to a race war. He said this in a 2013 essay in the National Review, quote, One of the reasons for being glad to be as old as I am is that I may be spared living to see a race war in America. Race wars are often wars in which nobody wins and everybody ends up much worse off than they were before. Initial skirmishes in that race war have already begun and have, in fact, been going on for some years. But public officials pretend that it is not happening, and the mainstream media seldom publish it at all, except in ways that conceal what is really taking place. For American society, a dangerous polarization has set in. Signs of this polarization over the years include opposite reactions between blacks and whites to the verdict in the O.J. Simpson murder case, the, quote, rape charges against Duke University students, and the trials resulting from the beating of Rodney King and the death of Trayvon Martin, end quote. Sowell wrote this nine years ago, and in the time since, the polarization has only gotten worse. Let's switch gears now and listen to the conversation I had with Charles Love about the sometimes fraught and always interesting relationship between blacks and Jews. Let, let's, let me ask you a question about uh, Jews and blacks. And this is something that I've been, I've been thinking a lot about lately. Okay. Now, it seems to me that the Jews and the blacks historically have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Both highly persecuted minorities. Um, in fact, the word ghetto comes from the Jewish experience in Italy in the 1500s, this is according to Sowell. I, I assume he did his research. And um, they were put into, they were forced into certain Jewish enclaves, which were guarded by Christians, so they couldn't leave at night. And it was called ghetto. I guess that's an Italian word that had to do with some particular neighborhood in in Venice where this was started. Um, So small minority in a larger society, highly persecuted. And my understanding was that during the civil rights movement of the 60s, that Jews and blacks were real allies that a lot of the, the, the leaders who went down from the North to the South to protest and, and cause trouble and were Jews. Mm-hmm. So, so what happened? What happened to that good vibe? Wow. Um, why, I don't why? know if you could have asked a better person than me. No, I'm just <laughs> but no, I talk about it a lot. I have a lot, an unusually high percentage of close Jewish friends for a black man from Gary. Uh, and, and I talk about it with them all the time. I used to joke, I t- told one of my younger Jewish friends, she was shocked she had to Google it. She didn't believe me. I was like, yeah, the guy I brought my, my father brought the house from, my neighbors were black, but Mr. Abraham was two doors down, cats on the other door. He's like, how? You grew up in all black neighborhood? Yes, but the people, it was white flight when they elected their first black mayor, all the white people left. Most of the ones in my neighborhood that didn't leave were Jewish. So all the old people in my neighborhood were Jewish, right? And then 
you know, I talk about this a lot. You know, I've had uh, Robert Cherry on twice. He wrote a book about the music in Blacks. You know, we talked about this. And it's an interesting thing. He talks about it from a Jewish And so we agree on some of the things that he's harder on Jews than I am. But it's funny. I think that um, it, 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 all the things you said is, are true, both about having things in common, but also about them being allies. And I think that... Um, Part of it is being caught up in the overall anti-Semitic culture. Now, I think the Blacks split into two categories. So most Black people aren't anti-Semitic, which you hear a lot. But it is common amongst Blacks to say to, to say certain stereotypical things about Jews. And then when they tie it into the others, people are like, yeah, look at what Blacks think of Jews. They're not really. It's no different than a white person saying, man, the crime in the Black community is pretty high. They need to do something about it. And then a white racist saying, Blacks are violent. Well, the first guy didn't say blacks are violent. You tie in them together, right? I mean, the first guy, you can give him the status and explain the nuance to him. He'd be like, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, the other guy, just like, that's what he thinks about black. It's the same thing. So I don't know many, I think I know one, but I don't know many black people who are the extreme of this, this these views that you hear in the black community sometimes um, about Jews. But a lot of them will say stuff about, you know, the stereotypes about money and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that is just, partially because of the, when I say the anti-Semitic narrative, it's the things that they hear. So if they hear, you know, over the course of years, white races saying this stuff about them, they're like, well, my, I don't even, now, now it's funny, these are the people that don't like blacks so they don't agree with them on most things. They're like, yeah, but they're not wrong about everything because I do see, right, it's what you see. And perception is a lot, which is what I always talk about the black community because, you know, the crime thing is an issue because I think uh, you talked about anything I I uh, take issue with with uh, soul. I don't disagree with because the stats are right, but very few people put this in the most. It's like one of my rallying cries. The context when you talk about multiples of crime in the black community of whites, like whites commit and blacks commit homicides at X times to this, right? And shame on soul because he's the, one of the best at numbers, so he should talk about this. You know, as a as a as a numbers guy. You're giving me a math form and you're leaving out an important number, right? So if I tell you that whites commit homicide at five times the rate of, of, of whites, most people, and they do because it it's easy, but say, see, the racists will say blacks are more violent. It proves it. The other people aren't racist and say, I'm not saying they're more violent, but there is a problem within the black community. That's the most common thing you hear. What the person like me says, I said, uh, before I make a decision, may I have one more number? May I have the murder rate amongst whites, please? Because I don't know what the five times of is. Because if it's 15, I use this example all the time. I said, if it's 15, right, then blacks might, black people might be violent. Because if whites commit murder at 15% and blacks are five times, you know, you're talking about 75% of blacks are committing murder. We need to lock up all the black people. It'd be beneficial to society. Except when you find out what that percentage is for whites, you find out it's 0.25. So we talk about multiples, which is true. The multiple of one of 0.25 is like, you know, 1.5. You know, if it's six times, 1.25. My point is 90 some odd percent of blacks don't commit violent crime, right? So when you say they're five times, if you focus on this, so that's my thing is to focus on the, I call it, we are the 98%, right? Because 98% of us don't commit violent crime. So I don't care what the multiplier is. It's low for both. We wish it were lower here, but if you look at, I'm just saying, if you think the normal white person ignored the movies and the, and the perp walk on the news and just drummed in their heads until their kids said for generations that 98% of blacks don't commit crime, that they were still walking around being afraid of black people. 
No, it's with focusing on that number. So the same thing is with the Jew thing. If you keep telling people that Jews run the world, Jews have all the, they're only, you know, one and a half percent of the population. What percentage of the doctors are there, right? So it has nothing. But the, the funny thing is they don't say the th- same thing. This is the proof that is narrative. They don't say the same thing about Indians and Jews and, I mean, and, and Asians and, and other groups that excel in spite of their very small percentages. No one says, yeah, look at that uh, Indian doctor. Yeah, you know what the Indians do, right? No one says that, right? You you, you, you see this across the board, but the only thing is the Jews. So the only thing it could be, they don't, most of them, unless you're in New York or back in my day in Gary, right before it changed, most of them don't live around Jews. So it's not personal experience, right? It's because you keep hearing this narrative, right? It's the slick Jewish law. It's, it's no different than, you know, Hollywood, as left as they are, and they say they care about these things, they per- perpetuate the problem. Gun culture. They hate guns. They want to ban guns, all this kind of stuff. But every movie, not only are there guns, that I, can, I can forgive that. Think about it. Every movie and TV show has a machine gun, right? They're all openly automatic. They're all, right? Then they say guns are bad. It's the same thing. They say treating people differently is wrong, but every black guy's got to be a drug dealer. And now they're either a drug dealer or the president of the United States. So they go to too far extremes. And every Jewish person's got to be a rich lawyer, this, that, and the other. They're robbing people. They're cheating them. They're nickel and diamond. They're rich, but they're cheap. Right? If you keep telling people that, then they start to believe it. So unfortunately, I think this belief in the black community about Jews has built over time of hearing this negativity some of it sometimes might be be jealousy, like, yes, we've both uh, per- been persecuted, but look at what they've achieved and they left us behind. Ignore- and no one teaches anything in right anymore, right? With all this focus on slavery and this and all that and teaching the true history, nobody tells the things you said about all these um, uh, whites and many of them Jews, many Jewish people going down mm-hmm. to the South and you know, putting their life on the line to end segregation, being at the civil rights movement, all that kind of stuff. Like in my case, the, the people who didn't move out of the neighborhood when we moved in, nobody talks about that. And now we're the generations, they don't see them, right? So I don't see any Jews. I'm in all black community. I don't know Jews. So all I see is, you know, shyster, all this kind of negative connotation. They believe it, which is fascinating because they don't like the negative stereotypes about themselves, but they're quick to believe them about anybody else. MAGA hat wear. Obviously, he hates all black people, right? All of them, really? Yes. Right. So it's, it, it's, you know, it's partially human nature. You can see it, but it is a bit disconcerting and shocking that a group of people, like you say, they have a lot in common, but a group of people who've been mischaracterized for so long would be so easily uh, um, willing to do the same thing to other people. You know, and I think most of it, unfortunately, is from the black side because the Jews that aren't aren't there anymore. They're just living their lives. They live in different na- neighborhoods. They're not living in black communities. They don't have any animosity, but some of them, of course, believe some of the stereotypes about blacks because it's out there too. So you got blacks saying Jews run the world and you got Jews saying, well, blacks need help because they're all uneducated criminals or, or, or poor. So now we're in a stere- stereotype world on, on, on steroids. So I think that's a lot of the problem. Did you see the, 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 the clip of Sidney Poitier talking about how he learned to read? Yep, from the uh, Jewish guy in the restaurant. Yeah, I think I'm going to play that on this podcast because I thought I thought that was a really interesting moment. I mean, it's talk funny. About- I sent that to a friend of mine because what I think is important, but I, said, I mean, I think it's great from what you're saying. But real quickly, the other thing is there's so much push, and I'm a weird guy. I don't, I'm one of those don't wear labels. I don't want to wear a shirt with a logo on it. I hate that kind of stuff. So I don't I don't worship. I don't have heroes. I believe in respecting the good things that certain people do. I don't have any heroes. Martin Luther King, nobody. I don't have any heroes. So do your thing. I'm not knocking you. That's just me personally. 
So, but what I do find interesting is when people want to lift up somebody and live vicariously through them and look at their greatness, Michael Jordan, da, 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 da. they talk about all these positive. And then they, because they believe they've fallen into these racial stereotypes, they cut off how that anybody else could have gotten it. So they'll say, so 48 was a good example. They'll say, look at this man, in spite of all this racism, a black man did all this stuff. He's great, right? You think he did it alone? Any white people helped him? Do You can't talk about that. Why, why you want to give credit to the white man, right? So he tells the story. So now this is a perfect layup for me. I'm not doing it. He's telling the story. So I sent this to my friends. I said, what do you think? Right? Because I know what they all said. I was like, oh, man, I think that's really cool. He, his perseverance. He tried to act. You know, why would he even want to try to act when he couldn't even really read or speak English? Well, he can fail. He failed. But he kept at it. And he persevered. He became one of the greatest. Yeah. That's all fine, too. But what I heard, too, was. This guy who had no other reason out of just being a nice guy to him. He, he wasn't just, he wasn't like, I can teach him to read, then I can be a millionaire, right? He's just like, I'm gonna help this guy out for whatever reason. And Sidney Portier made it a point to say he was Jewish. And he's taught me to read every day. He helped me out. And I'm like, how many guys do you think were like that? Because this gotta be, I mean, he was in his 80s. The guy was obviously older. So this guy had to be born in like the 1920s, right? Maybe, right? So you're talking about. Why would he have to do that? Why would he want to do that one? And how many others are like that, right? Over the course of time, right? In order to pass civil rights laws in the 1800s, because most people don't realize they existed, right? Under Grant, in order to pass the Civil Rights Act of 1871, you needed benevolent whites because there weren't enough blacks. There were blacks in Congress at that time with 12, 10. That's not enough, right? You needed blacks. And how did they get elected? Because they got elected by the state legislators for the Senate, like Hiram Rebels. So you needed whites to vote for them, right? So over the course of this time, right? You know, Harding gets a bad rep because, you know, he had, but he pushed back against the Klan. And then you had all these things, these educational programs, the Rosenwald schools, you start tying in the Jews, right? So there's all these things people done. And now we're trying to erase that. Whites have done nothing. All the blacks, they, 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 they had to deal with racism and they overcame it. Well, they couldn't overcome it without any help at all. They needed some help, but we're going to erase, we want to elevate the amount of educational slavery and what black, black achievement, which is fine. But then we want to diminish, we, then we want to placate that and follow that up with all whites are and fill in the blank. There are, there are no extremes, right? So what I liked about that story was he was like, the, he could have talked about anything. He talked about, let me just tell you, she didn't ask him about, tell us about the guy at the restaurant. Right? He's just like, you know, this is how I got where I was. It started with this one thing. And people will hear that story and think it's a great story, but they'll think it's a great story from the Sydney side, not from the server, I mean, the restaurant guy side. See, I thought it was interesting that Sidney Poitier mentioned that the guy was Jewish because he didn't have to even. He, did. he didn't have to do that, right? He could have just said a, an old guy. He could have just said an old guy. He didn't even have to mention he was white. Right. He didn't yeah. have to mention it at all. So, so I thought it was very interesting that he mentioned that he was Jewish. And I was wondering what Sidney Poitier was thinking. I guess we'll never what know. What do you think? You have to speculate. He's not here with us. What, why do you think he mentioned it? I thought he was very touched by that. And I you see, this is why I started off this conversation by saying that uh, the Jews and the Blacks have a lot in common, which is a very, very long history of persecution by, by larger societies. And um, I think there's a commonality there. There's a brotherhood. Dare I say it? There's actually a brotherhood between the two groups that I think uh, gets ignored to nowadays. And I think, well, I think a, a lot of people know popular culture, though. And in popular culture, there was like Robert Cherry did a good job in his book about that. He wrote a book, like I said, about the music. And what he said was Jews brought blacks up and gave them opportunities they wouldn't have had before when whites were shutting them out of entertainment. However, some of them ripped them off. Right. And that's true because it's human nature. Right. 
So which thing are you going to remember, right? So you remember the the guy who, did, who took, you know, you, some famous blues or jazz artist you remember. That was my guy. Yeah, W.C. Handy and this Jewish guy stole his roy- royalties, right? Louis Armstrong and this Jewish guy did this. Ha, the Jews stole his money. Not to, not to, but you, w- without context and logic, you won't say that it was a Norman industry and other people were doing it, but you also won't say, but for this guy, no one knows who Louis Armstrong is. But for this guy, this, so you got to tell all of it, the good and the bad. This is what we talk about. We talk about slavery and racism and all that stuff. You can talk about what these uh, Jewish producers and record uh, label owners did that were unsavory and you know, whatever the case may be and stealing royalties or whatever they did. Tell that if it happened. But you can't spin it as if everyone did it and they did it because they were Jewish and that's what the Jews do. That's wrong. And you can't do it and never say anything positive about it. You can't ever say, like, I don't know, you you hear more stories about Frank Sinatra and the mob, as an example, than you do Frank, Frank Sinatra performing with Della Reese. And they say Della can't come, can't eat here or can't come through, has to come through the kitchen. And Sinatra said, you don't let her eat with me, then take my name off the marquee. I'm leaving. Oh, and there was a race thing back to my hometown of Gary. They had uh, they they were trying to integrate a school. It was Frable, which was majority white, and uh, all the white kids, you know, were, were attacking the black kids. They had a, a, a walkout and all this stuff. And Frank Sinatra came there to, to speak to them. Or that lost uh, public service announcement. You ever seen the per- public service announcement of him no. talking about being treated different? Yeah, you have to check it out. He did this public service announcement about treating people differently or something. About it was mostly from the Italian neighborhood or whatever. But you know, you, you don't you don't even hear any of this stuff. Same thing about Jews, same thing about a lot of people's context. Whites do this. When you say whites did, you're saying all whites, which is not true. And you're eliminating the ones, some of them might have just done nothing, but the ones who were actively against it. And you're ignoring any of the positive things that they may have did, the, the, the things that people have done that advance you know, equality and freedom. You just throw that out when you say all oh, whites. The same thing with Jews. I think that we do have a kinship, a brotherhood, if you, as you said, and more people should learn about it. And I think that, um, you know, they, they, they ebb and flow. Sometimes they push for, you'll get a coalition where people are pushing to, to that. I, I talked to someone recently who was working in that, on that regard. And then someone was just like, you know, that's just how it is. And nobody's teaching anybody about the nuanced history. So I don't know where it goes, but it, it, it's definitely interesting. Uh, someone should write another book about it. I'm sure that many, but if I were to go out onto the street and do a survey uh, and ask Black Americans, you know, do you know do you know what the Holocaust was? Do you think they would know? Yes, I'm I'm, I'm thinking that the, 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 I, I would say yes, yeah, they would like know. they would be like not just the word, but they would actually be able to tell you a little bit about it. Like, yeah, I mean, not so much as how widespread it was, what percentage uh, of the whole um, Jewish diaspora was, was affected. Uh, that. You had educated people who had to leave. Not the nuance like that. This guy was a doctor. He had to flee and leave everything behind and lose his access. Uh, not so much that, but I mean, they would know about the most grim part. They probably couldn't they couldn't uh, name a camp, um, even Auschwitz. I mean, obviously, they, they, they definitely wouldn't know that there were more than one, but I don't think they'd be able to name that. They would know the gist of what happened. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll throw in some Hitler. I think they would know um, a serviceable amount, and they wouldn't be deniers, which is really important. <laughs> Yeah, I think they would. So I, I want to share with you a, an experience I had um, while growing up with with my mother um, that that I think touches on this Sydney Poitier issue a little bit. Um, my mom was a single mom raising me and my sister in in Queens, and uh, she worked full time, 
And we had uh, like a nanny slash housekeeper that would be around to clean up and make us dinner and this and that. And it was a black woman from Trinidad. Her name was Mary. I have very fond memories of Mary because she was really with me from very early age. And Mary, while she was ironing the clothes and doing the folding the laundry, she would always watch soap operas you know, days of our lives and as the world turns and all this kind of stuff. And I remember I have this very strong image of Mary watching the show, laughing and just saying, this is just stupid, stupid. The way she said stupid, stupid, like with a Trinidadian accent. So it's very much in my mind. Now, Mary's husband, Scott, was a handyman at a hospital. He's the guy that would fix the plumbing or whatever. And so real working class people. Okay. Now, I later found out that Mary and Scott had become very, very wealthy, very wealthy, millions and millions of dollars. They owned many, many homes in Jamaica, Queens that they rented out. And I was very surprised. I'm like, how did that happen? And my mother said, and I'll never forget this. She said, well, when they started buying homes, I co-signed every single one of those loans. I'm like, you did what? <laughs> she co-signed. And I, I'm like, how many loans, Charles, have you co-signed for people? I can tell you exactly. Zero. I have in my entire life never co-signed a mortgage. And I don't think I ever will. And my mother co-signed loan after loan after loan. And I was just blown away by this. And she helped them. But they worked hard. They were the ones that fixed up the houses and that mowed the lawns and that painted the walls. I mean, she didn't, you know, do any, uh, you know, uh, muscular labor, but she helped them in her own way. Mm -hmm. And I was really touched by that. And, you know, how many people would do that? You know, how many people would sit night after night after night, week after week and teach someone to read? I don't know. A stranger. I don't know anybody that would do that, you know? And I think that, um, you know, I kind of miss those days. You know, I kind of, I, I wonder if our society still has that kind of camaraderie and brotherhood to help strangers in such a dramatic I think, I think way. it does only because just like the bad is human instinct and, and human nature, so is the good. I think this, this toxic society is make is minimizing it both because you see it, you do more of it because you see it. So if you see less of it, you do more, do, you do less of it. I do think it's faded a bit, but I think some of it is natural. You see some, because put it this way, you'll see some, some black guy, like it kind of like, I mean, it was kind of cheesy the way they did it, even though it won an Academy Award, but kind of like traffic, right? They're trying to point out that people are complex, right? So you had this guy who was kind of a racist. He was mad because of the cop, uh, Matt, Matt uh, Damon's character. Matt oh, you're Dillon's talking about character. Crash, right? Crash. Uh, Crash, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Matt, Matt Dillon's uh, character, you know, he's all mad. They won't help his father out. His father was kind of a racist. So he's got these tendencies. But, you know, the woman's in the, in the car. His first instinct is to pull out because that's what you do, right? I'm not like, well, it's that same woman. She's black, right? So it's kind of like that. You can have people that talk about whitey. Our community is failing because of whitey. And then, you know, some white guys in the black neighborhood, somebody tries to rob them, and then they run and help, right? It's just because it's just instinct, right? Now that's fading now because now we want to hold up the phone first. But I think some of that still happens. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of a, 
pessimistic in the sense that I think that seeing so much negativity will minimize it a bit, but I think it still happens. But I'm interested in, you know, when I have a friend, I, I make sure I send this episode to him because he's going to laugh because he says the same thing about his upbringing, having this woman, black woman, that yeah, just like a family member because he was young. The same story he tells. It's so awesome, except for the co-signing part. But <laughs> but now I'm like, I'm hoping that you, you, you're still uh, in contact with their 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 family or somehow, their descendants or something. Or I mean, the, the, you all, you you personally should be like, yeah, now Maria's grandkids and I uh, uh, talk on occasion. You got to go find them if you don't. Then I mean, I think that's cool. Let's end this episode with a clip from an interview from 60 Minutes with one of the greatest actors of all time, Sidney Poitier, who recently passed away at the age of 94. You couldn't read. You had a very thick Bahamian accent. I did. And you decide to try and become an actor? I did. Why didn't you go that route? It kind of makes no sense. I had no way of knowing that there is a madness to what I'm trying to do. After a disastrous audition with the American Negro Theater, where Poitier could barely read the script, an act of kindness at his job as a dishwasher changed his life. One of the waiters, a Jewish guy, elderly man. I had a, 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 a newspaper and he walked over to me and he looked at me and he said, what's new in the paper? And I looked up at this man and I said to him, I can't tell you what's up in the paper. I said, because I can't read very well. He says, let me ask you something. Would you like me to read with you? Wow. Uh, I said to him, yes, if you like. Now let me tell you something. Every night, every night, the place is closed. Everyone's gone. And he sat there with me, week after week after week. I learned a lot, a lot. And then things began to happen. I'm Alan Woolen, and this has been Episode 12 of the Genius of Thomas Sowell Podcast. Thanks for listening.